Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Good morning. Our scripture readings today are from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 7, which you will find in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles, beginning on page 512, or on screen, and from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, which you will find in the New Testament section of our pew Bibles, beginning on page 77, or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The 32nd Psalm, verse 1. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. In Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner? Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to ask you to uh, pray with me. And as we pray, let us uh, 
remember we have, uh, many of you here, you have grandchildren, you have young adults in your family, and I saw some of the footage of the, the, um, those hundreds of kids who were celebrating Halloween in South Korea, and so many of them lost their lives. And the parents, of course, are, are broken, and they're trying to find their kids. Are they in the hospital? Have they passed away? It's a horrible thing to think about. So as we pray, let's just take a moment to remember them. And so, Lord, we give you thanks this morning for this day. Life is so precious, and yet life is so tenuous. And Lord, sometimes we forget that and we take it for granted. And even as we're here worshiping, Lord, half a world away, there are people who are grieving, families in South Korea who have lost their teenage sons and daughters, their 20-somethings. We thank you, Lord, for those who are bravely working in the hospitals to restore life and to restore health. We pray for the families who have lost children who are grieving this morning. God, we ask that you will be near to them. You'll make yourself real to them. And Lord, we as a church, we pray that you will cause us to, to treasure each other and to treasure the gift of life and that we would use this one life in very intentional ways to serve you. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and God's people say, Amen. So this morning, as you've already heard from the songs, I want to have us think a little bit about this beautiful, beautiful thing that Christianity has that no other, no other religion in the world really has this gift that we're going to talk about this morning, and it's the gift of forgiveness. And I don't say that in a triumphalistic way. I don't say that in a way to put down other religions. It's just true. Christianity does something that no other religious movement does in the world, and that it provides forgiveness in a way that is so different. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to dip in any special rivers. You don't have to flagellate yourself. You don't have to purchase it. It's part of the nature of who God is. God forgives. And last Sunday morning when we were together, I was trying to suggest to you that one motive for giving comes from an awareness that we have a source, and that God is that source, that God is a benevolent, generous, the most generous being in the whole universe that God gives. And often when you understand that, it then influences how we give. And, I, and just to remind you, when we talk about giving here at First Press, we talk about the giving of ourselves, we talk about the giving of our time and our talents and our resources, because it all comes from God. Let me remind you of a scripture that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago. This is from First Chronicles 29, and I just love this verse. This is one of those verses that make the blood in your heart just pump harder, because it is so amazing when you read it. It says, yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all, and I have it underlined in my notes, for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Think about that. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all, 
above all riches. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. When I read that, it reminds me of that line in the book of James where it says that every good and perfect gift, that it comes from God. And so forgiveness, in my estimation, is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us as his children, where we have the ability now to receive forgiveness from God, and we can also, and this is hard, to forgive others. We can forgive others, and there is no money in the world, trust me when I say this, that can purchase this wonderful gift of forgiveness. And so you heard the two beautiful readings. We're just going to take a moment and feast on these two beautiful readings, one from the Psalms, one from the Gospels. And the two questions I want us to answer this morning before I take my seat is simply this. The first question is, what does forgiveness provide? And, uh, and then the second question has to do with the question of how do we earn? How do we earn? How do we receive this gift of forgiveness. But let's just talk a little bit about what forgiveness provides, the freedom. It provides the freedom from sin's burdens, from sin's burdens. I don't know how many of you take a moment to crack open the newsletter that goes out every week. If you've not signed up for the newsletter, I want to encourage you to do that. But I shared a story in the newsletter about a, a priest serving a, a, a congregation in, in the Philippines. And this priest had something in his past that really troubled him and burdened him, and he asked God to forgive him, and he confessed, and he did all that he needed to do, but the guilt and the burden just stayed with him. And he found out there was a woman in his congregation, and the woman says that she actually talks to the Lord, and she hears Jesus speak back, speak back to her, and she has these dreams, and the priest was very skeptical. And the priest said to her, so you really hear from Jesus? She said, of course, he speaks to me. And she said, well, okay, ask him to tell you the sin that I committed when I was in seminary. And a few weeks later, the priest comes back to the woman and she says, well, did you ask him? And she said, yes, I did. And did he tell you? What did he tell you, he said. And she said, that she said to the priest, he told me, I don't remember. I don't remember. Forgiveness. It frees us from our burden, the burden of sin. And I don't know what was going on in David's life. You know, we, it says that David is the writer of this. But when you read the words and how he describes what was happening to him, he talks about sin in four different ways. Now, in the church, when we mention the word sin, it doesn't land well even with people in the church, and it definitely doesn't land well with people in our broader culture. Some people laugh and say, that's ludicrous. I mean, why do you call that a sin? I'm just having a good time. The concept of sin, it's ludicrous, it's offensive. And even sometimes for us as Christians, we don't understand what is it we mean by sin. Here's a woman that I would encourage you to read her books. Anytime you see her writings, to just pick it up and read it. Barbara Brown, Brown Taylor, who is both once a pastor but also a professor. And she wrote some very helpful lines that I want to share with you. She says, Neither the language of medicine nor of law 
is, is an adequate substitute for the language of sin. So she's trying to get at the language of sin. She says law or medicine is not an adequate substitute. She says contrary to the medical model, we're not entirely at the mercy of our maladies. And sometimes we will say, well, it's because I was having a headache. It's because I had a tummy ache. Or it's because I was born this way. And on and on and on. She says, no, you can't use, we can't use medicine or our medical maladies as an excuse or as a way to get at what's wrong with us. She says, contrary to the legal model, the essence of sin is not primarily the violation of laws. But she says it's a wrecked relationship with God, with one another, and she adds the whole created order. And then she says these words that I want you to look at. She says all sins, all sins are attempts to fill voids. And then she says because we cannot stand this God-shaped, whole, and she's using some of Augustine's words there, this God-shaped vacuum inside us. We can't stand it, and we're trying then to stuff that hole. We're trying to fill that hole with the sorts of things that only God can fill. We exacerbate our condition by trying to heal ourselves. And so what was David trying to do? What, what, what was he trying to fill within his life? And whatever he was doing, it wasn't working. Because in verses 3 and 4, he describes this burden that he was carrying. Notice again, if you have your Bibles open, he says, While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day, think about this, night and day, your hand, God's hand, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. That is a horrible burden for one to carry night and day. No peace, no joy, this, this sense of what's wrong in my life. And I know guilt, this is what... David is describing, brothers and sisters, guilt is not a pleasant emotion. It's not. When we feel guilty about something, I know what I've tried to do. I've tried to stop it, try to change the channel, try to avoid it instead of facing it. Some people attribute guilt to, well, you know, Pastor Ray, you just have an overly sensitive bird, um, conscience. Pastor Ray, you grew up in a home where, you know, everything they said to you in your home made you feel guilty. And people say, well, it, that's not a sign that you have committed anything wrong. It's just you have an overly sensitive conscience. But two things I will say to you this morning. Yes, guilt comes from the conscience. Because God made us with the ability to know right from wrong. And you know when you've stepped out of line and your conscience will tell you. But guilt also comes because the Holy Spirit loves you. And the Holy Spirit will come and he will knock on the door of your heart telling you, Ray, there is something you need to address. There's something you need to address. There's something that's off center. This burden of guilt can never be lifted by going shopping turning up the music, burying the emotion, the best thing to do is to face it. And that's what David did as we read these words. He says, then I acknowledged. That's really what it means. 
to face your guilt. I acknowledged my sin to God. I did not hide my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then those beautiful words, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When David owned up to the fact that something was wrong in his life, that he had broken God's law, that he had missed the mark, that he was twisting the truth, that he was covering it up, that he had betrayed God, he had betrayed others in his life. When David owned up to that, God forgave him and the burden was lifted. And so guilt actually can be a good thing if we face it, if we address it, if we open it up to the light of God's grace and God's mercy. But here's the second thing that forgiveness provides. Forgiveness provides the freedom to be generous and to give generously to others. It's hard. Even with what I just said, and you agree with what I just said, it is still hard when somebody does something to you to actually forgive that person. I talk to people all the time who tell me, Pastor Ray, I am struggling to forgive so-and-so. I have that in my life too. But ultimately, forgiveness empowers us. When we know we've been forgiven by God, it enables us then to forgive each other. It frees us up to be generous in our appreciation of each other. We're not so picky. We're not so judgmental. We're not so impatient with each other because we, we, we know where we were. We know what we've done. We know how we have failed. So we extend the same mercy to others. So forgiveness frees us to give generously in forgiving each other, but also in other ways. Let's just quickly look at the other story from the Gospels. Jesus was passing through Jericho. And the main character in the story, we're told, is a rich and powerful man named Zacchaeus. And even though he was rich, there was something that Zacchaeus wanted. He wanted to see Jesus. And I don't think it was just to stand and actually see him with his eyes. I think there was much more involved in that, in that word see. He wanted to see Jesus. Why? Well, maybe he was curious. Maybe he had a spiritual hunger. Maybe there was a huge burden of guilt that was weighing him down. We're not sure, but he wanted to see Jesus. He so wanted to see him, but he had difficulty seeing Jesus because of the crowds. Two big reasons why he couldn't see Jesus. The crowds were there, and he was a very short man. And the crowd didn't want to let him through. And I think they didn't want to let him through to see Jesus because they said, don't let him through it. You know who's standing behind us? That is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a horrible man. We're not going to let him through. Because you see, Zacchaeus was the, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. And he was rich. And if you know anything about the taxation system that the Romans implemented, they handed that job over to many of the Jewish folks. And what they were doing was they were overcharging the, on the taxes and on the tolls. They would pay the government what the government was due, but then they kept the, the amount that they extorted. Zacchaeus sets the tax rate, and he is just raking it in. And he's rich, 
and yet he's still trying to find Jesus. He's still trying to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus then decides, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to see him. When I lived in western Pennsylvania, one of my, and I call him a friend, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, preached at our church several times and um, been in several meetings with him over the years, but he's just a renowned uh, scholar of the New Testament and has lived in the Middle East, lived in the Middle East from a child for many, many years, taught there, Cairo Seminary, there's a whole uh, uh, wing of the seminary that's, that's dedicated to him, Dr. Kenneth Bailey. He made this wonderful insight that I never forgot when I heard him teach on this passage. He said there are two things a man in the Middle Eastern culture would never do. You don't see a man doing an undignified thing such as running. And secondly, you will never see a man in the Middle East culture climbing a tree. Zacchaeus said, forget that, I don't care. I want to see Jesus, and so he runs. People are looking at him like, what's wrong with that guy? And then he climbs a tree, and people say, well, he must have lost his mind. He doesn't care. But it wasn't Zacchaeus alone who was breaking social norms. We're told that when Jesus got to the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up in the tree and he said, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I want to go to your house today. Zacchaeus broke the rules of culture by running and climbing a tree. Jesus, as we know, Jesus was a radical. Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus broke the social norms of that day by going into the house of a tax collector. And that's why the mood in the crowd quickly changed and they started grumbling. I can't believe it. I thought he was a good guy. What's wrong with him? He's going into the house of a sinner. And somewhere in the course of the visit that Jesus had with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus suddenly stands up. And we, are, we, we can assume maybe it was a dinner. Maybe they was there for dinner. And at the end of the dinner, Zacchaeus stands up. And he makes this grand announcement. He says, Lord, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And then he says, for those I have cheated, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give even more. I'm going to give four times as much. So I don't know how he was going to do that because he cheated so many people. But he said, I'm going to give four times as much to the people that I cheated. This man was willing to be this generous, not just because Jesus was in his home. And I know sometimes when special people, I see special people around me, I try to put on an act, you know, try to impress them that I'm all that. I don't think that's what was going on here. It's not because Jesus was in his home, but Jesus had now become central to his life. And I think Zacchaeus, for the first time, was seeing the ways money controlled him. I think for the first time, Zacchaeus was seeing how money so controlled him that he was willing to do anything to cheat the widow, to cheat that hardworking fisherman, to cheat the farmer, and he just felt abject, abject brokenness. And he says, I want to fix it. I want to make it right. And so he confessed, and he repented. And a sign of his repentance then was to respond 
by giving generously. And it's no wonder then, and Jesus said these words because of all the grumblers out there. He says, salvation has come to this man's house because he too is a son of Abraham. Yeah, he's a tax collector, but even bigger than that, he's a son of Abraham. He deserves to be part of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says these words in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And every time you see Jesus saying, here's why I'm here, friends, I want you to take note of it because we can take those words and we can change them and say, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost and the church of God came to seek and to save the lost because we are here as the church of Jesus Christ, continuing the work of Jesus Christ and we are called to do the same. So how do we receive it? And I'm not going to assume that everybody here knows how to receive forgiveness. And that's why I'm going to have you take a look at this, at this verse that's on the screen before you. For some of you, you may be seeing this verse for the first time. And this is a promise from the scriptures. And I hope you can see it. Let me read it. And then I'm going to have you read it again with me because this is so important. You want to know how do, we read, how do we receive forgiveness? Where does it come from? Well, first of all, we've got to ask ourselves, and David used the same word, deceive. If we say that we're okay, I'm fine, I'm not that bad, I have no sin. David would say it, Nicodemus would say it, Jesus would say it, the Holy Spirit would say it, guys, you're deceiving yourselves. There's no truth in you. You're not being truthful. But look at the next verse. But if we confess our sins, and that word there to confess means what? It just means to say what God already knows. Is that okay? I'm going to say what God already knows. I'm going to confess my sins. Then it says God is faithful and just. And God will forgive our sins. And God will cleanse us. Because sin is a stain. God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why don't we say that together? If you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm okay, I want you to read that and realize that you're not okay. So let's just read it together. Right? Ready? If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is the gift that God gives us that keeps on giving forgiveness. And this is the second motivating factor that drives us in our Christian service and our Christian duty it's the reality that I once was lost, I was in sin, my life was a mess, I couldn't help myself. Even if I had the money of a, of, a, of, a, of a Zacchaeus, I still needed Jesus, and Jesus did not ignore me. He came, he forgave me, he saved me, and it's out of that gratitude that we give. And in a moment in our service, we are going to ask you to come and place your pledges in these baskets, but do it out of a motivation of gratitude. Don't do it because you have to. I mean, the church is not going to fall apart if you don't give. 
But we're going to be more blessed as a church if you give with the right motivation. We're going to place our pledge cards in here. And we're going to invite you to bring it forward. It's an act of worship. It's an opportunity to respond in a very tangible way to the grace of God. If you forgot to fill out a pledge card, and for those of you who are online, you can also fill it out electronically online. There are pledge cards right in your, in your, uh, your, your bulletin this morning. And if you would just take that out, and in a moment, the, the bell choir is going to be playing, and we're going to have some music being played. You'll have an opportunity to fill this out and bring it forward and place it in this offering. Why are you doing that? We're trying to fulfill the mission of Jesus which is to seek and to save, seek and to save, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the Evanston community. And your giving of yourself and your gifts and your resources will help us do an increasingly better job in 2023. So think about that. Are you grateful that you're forgiven? Is this a happy day that Jesus has washed away your stain? I know it's a happy day for me. And when I give, I give out of that reality. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen.